Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be gathered together again. The message this morning, I invite you back to the book of Ephesians. beginning with chapter 5, verse 8, for a brief review the first part of this chapter, or in this, the first part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul tells us the marked difference between the life and conduct of the believer the non-believer. He points out that there are things that should never be a part of the believer's life because they're inconsistent with being a child of God, a holy God. So there's things that we need to avoid in our lives. We must also avoid partnering with those who practice these things. I'd like to read verse 8 through verse 20 at this time. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever is made manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. So the first part of this chapter, he was talking about some things that the unregenerate man does. And he says here that ye were sometimes darkness. Now sometimes here doesn't mean Occasionally, but rather it means at one time. A lot of other translations use the word once. You were once darkness. So he's speaking here to people who had made a change, had come out of that darkness. And now he says, You're light of the Lord. Change from 
the darkness of sin and Satan being alive in the light of God. Another scripture that came to my mind as I was looking at this is Colossians 1, 13. It says, who, speaking of Christ, who hath, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. It's talking about the two-kingdom concept, the concept of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of light and holiness. You know, throughout the scripture, good and evil, or God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, are contrasted as light and darkness. Think about it. It's where there is light, darkness does not exist. Thinking about that concept a little, and you know, I can't I can't bring darkness and show you this morning. Physical darkness. Because there's we are in the presence of light, sunlight. So so Light dispels darkness, just as God, His holiness, dispels the darkness of evil, sin. I also had to think about the creation account as I thought about the contrast being made many times in Scripture of of God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and the contrast between light and darkness, between sin and, and holiness. We're told in the beginning, there in Genesis 1, that, 1, 1, that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So it paints a picture of the earth before God's creative touch was upon it, of being without form, it hadn't been put together in an orderly way. It was void and there was darkness over the face of the earth. And what was the first thing that God created? In Genesis 1-3, God said, And let there be light. There was light. So as soon as God came into the picture with his creative power, God dispelled the darkness. So that's where what we have at the beginning of the world, the beginning of creation. God dispelled darkness and brought light. But that's not where it ended, because clear through Scripture, clear to the end, God is associated with light. Clear through to the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, the Lamb is the light thereof. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where where the holy city of God will be lightened by his glorious presence. So here we have a reminder that in Christ we have come out of that darkness. And you know, we have to come out of that darkness to look forward to that future light in heaven. 
And he says that we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. And he says, walk as children of light. Or walk in accordance with God's light. In accordance, in accordance with the holiness of God. The, the pattern set by Christ. The, his example and his teaching. And I thought it was interesting, the term here of walk would have the idea, would give us the idea of all of our life, whatever we do, we're to walk in light, we're to, to, to display the light of, of God in our lives. It's not just profession, it's not just what we say, it's not just on Sunday morning, but it's all of life, the change that encompasses all we do our entire walk of life. And just as physical light and darkness don't mix, as I said, spiritual light and darkness can't be mixed either. We can't walk in the light and still participate in the things of darkness. And as we do that, we're going to, as we as we walk into the light of God, we're going to exemplify certain characteristics. We see that in verse 9. We speak through the Spirit. We're going to display these things, goodness, righteousness, truth. You know, those things are all characteristics of God. They're, and they're attributes, characteristics of God that we, that his children should also be displaying in our lives. I think I've said this before, but there are characteristics that God has that we can't have. We can't be all-knowing and everywhere present and all-powerful and those types of things. But God does call us to put on a lot of his characteristics. And here is, is several, goodness, righteousness, and truth. things that we should be displaying because we're living in the light of God, in the light of his character. His character, his light shining through our lives. Again, displaying light and not darkness because the two cannot coexist. Verse 10, he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The way we use the word proving typically is a little different maybe than what it's used here. We would say, I'm going to prove that I'm right. I'm going to present the evidence that I'm that what I'm saying is correct. But proving here is a term of more more of the sense to learn or to find out through experience. So he's challenging us to prove, to find out through experience what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, I don't think that means that we just experiment with different things and see whether the Lord blesses us or not. But rather, it's 
it's by surrendering to what God has revealed to us through his word, through his spirit. And then we'll experience by doing, by obeying, we'll experience God's blessing. You know, I've been impressed that there's, we talk about surrender, and there's two sides to surrender. When I'm challenged by the Holy Spirit that there's something in my life that I need to change, the natural reaction typically is that of resistance. And I can I can know in my mind that to surrender is there's going to be a blessing in, in, in surrendering. So it's it's a theoretical blessing. I haven't experienced it, but you know, probably if I would submit to God in this, there's going to be some good come out of it. But when I deal with self and I surrender to God, at that point, I'm on the other side of surrender. And on that side of surrender, the blessings are real. The blessings are experienced. And that's what I see here in in proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. God has revealed to us in his word how he wants us to live. He wants us to surrender to him. He wants us to live a life of holiness. He wants us to be separate from Satan's kingdom. Paul's saying, surrender. Do it. Experience it for yourself so that you can prove through your experience what's acceptable to the Lord, what the blessings are of being surrendered to the Lord and living in the light of the gospel. Also, we see that our separation from good and evil, from our separation in good from evil, should be complete. In verse 11, he says that we're to have no fellowship with unfruitful deeds of darkness. Unfruitful works of darkness. Now, I don't believe that that's a command for us as believers to avoid or shun people who are not converted, who are living in sin. But it does mean that there's many things, many associations that we may need to avoid. As believers, as children of God, children of the light, we cannot be closely associated with those that are living in spiritual darkness without putting our own spirituality at risk, our own spiritual life. And the psalmist tells us that in Psalm 1, very familiar verses here that most of us could probably quote. Psalm 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And while some association, some rubbing of shoulders may be unavoidable with those who are living in darkness, we can't avoid and we must avoid being closely associated and aligned with them in a way that affects our thinking. psalmist said, we're blessed if we avoid, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. And that second verse is the antidote, the cure, for to keep us from being influenced by the darkness and evil around us, and that is to immerse ourselves in the word of God, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. We need to actively seek the things of God. We need to actively be in his word. Remain in his light. To avoid being drawn off course by the influences around us. He goes a step further in verse 12. He says that more than just avoiding association with those who practice evil, he says there that we shouldn't even talk about the evil things that they do. He says that it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Did you know that the act of verbalizing, talking about something, can normalize it in our minds? You hear something, you know, just just as just as an example, the first time in this nation that a crazed person went to a, a public school and began shooting students. People were shocked. And since then, it has happened again and again and again. And the more that you hear it, the more normalizing, the more normal it becomes in our minds, and the less shocking it is. And that's how it is with, with any type of sinful, evil thing. The more you hear it, the more you hear it talked about, the more normal it becomes. We become desensitized. And I believe that that is what has happened in our society in the last 50 to 100 years. And I believe that it's been done mainly through the entertainment and music industries. And I say that if you're participating in the music and the entertainment that the world puts forth, you're opening yourself up to having your mind altered, and to have things that are an abomination to our holy God become normal, normalized in your mind. That's why we're told in the book of James that friendship with the world is enmity or, in, or hostility towards God. 
I think that's why Paul has this warning here. That if we if we talk about, if we allow ourselves to be influenced by, through music, through entertainment, by things that, that mention, things that promote an unholy and an ungodly lifestyle, we're conditioning our minds to accept darkness rather than light. We're conditioning ourselves to accept Satan's kingdom what he puts forth is good rather than the good and holy things of God. Again, another reason to immerse ourselves in God's word, another reason to associate with God's children, to listen to good, sound, biblical teaching. Also, he says that if God's children or to have nothing to do with the works of darkness, but rather, in verse 11, he says to reprove them. Also, in verse 13, he says that we do that by exposing them to the light. I don't think that these verses here are talking about that we should go around and anybody we see that we feel like is living in sin, that we call them down, so to speak, condemning them. But rather... As the opportunity presents itself, we should be willing to speak a word in season regarding living for the Lord, living in a holy way, speaking against evil when the opportunity arises. But also I think that another very important thing is that we live lives that reprove. believe that a consistent and conscientious life lived for the Lord speaks loudly to those that we interact with, those that observe us in our everyday life. First Peter 3.16 says, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. As I said earlier, the blessing of submission to the Lord can't be realized or fully understood until a person takes that step of submitting. When the person, when someone has submitted to a life, living a life illuminated to the gospel of Christ, their life then becomes a demonstration to others who are still in the darkness of sin demonstration of what the Lord's blessings are. Those people living in the darkness of sin can't, they're not experiencing it, that they can observe it in my life and in yours. So it's extremely important what testimony we're leaving by our actions, how we live. Verse 14 contains a quote then that we don't have a direct reference to. There's a couple references in the Old Testament that are similar, but commentators are, are mixed in their opinions of whether this was uh, kind of a loose quote from an Old Testament reference or whether it was possibly part of a uh, 
poem or a hymn that the early church used. He says, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Flee for those who are spiritually asleep to wake up, rise from the dead. You know, those living in the darkness of sin in many ways are asleep as long as they're in this life. As long as someone is in this life, they have the opportunity to do what it says here, to awake from their sleep and arise from the dead. Come to the Lord. Allow the light of Christ to shine upon them. But that opportunity to awake spiritually is going to end when life is over. At that point, our choices are final. Our destiny will be sealed, whether we're in the light or in the darkness. So, awake, thou that sleepest. Thou that are living in spiritual darkness and arise from the dead, the light, let the light of Christ shine on and through your life. I'd like to think then a little bit on the next two verses, 15 and 16. These are verses that are familiar if we hear them read and quoted often. To see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Did a little research on that word circumspectly. I've often heard that that this verse here, to walk circumspectly, means that we should be diligent, we should be looking all around and aware of dangers, be alert. And that is that is the meaning of the word circumspectly as we would use it today. But the original Greek had the meaning of living correctly or accurately or consistently of perfection. So I believe that this verse is, I don't think it's wrong for us to take it as a warning to be alert to the dangers around us. But I believe that this verse is admonishing us to live carefully and consistently. To live lives that live up to the gospel message that we profess. That we would never do anything in our life that would contradict the light of the gospel message through inconsistent living. How quickly we can bring reproach on the name of Christ by inconsistent living. And that typically comes when we fail to surrender to Christ, to his lordship, and we live for self. We do the things we shouldn't, we appear in ways we shouldn't, etc. It's important for us to walk carefully, consistently,
the admonition then in verse 16 to redeem the time has the literal meaning of, of to buy up or to rescue something from loss. You know, we've all been allotted a short amount of time in this life, some longer than others, but at best, it's really, I'm starting to realize all the time as I get older, at best, it's a short time. The short time that we have the opportunity to live for the Lord, bring honor and glory to Him, to, to promote His kingdom, to display His light to a dark and sinful world. So it's up to us what we're going to do with that time. Are we living in pursuit of the things of the world or the things of God's kingdom? How are we buying up the time? Are we buying up the time with pleasure-seeking? Are we buying up the time seeking God's kingdom? He says that we're to buy up the time, because the, to redeem the time because the days are evil. Without a conscious effort to redeem the time, to buy up the time for God's use, but God's kingdom first, without that conscious effort, we're going to face the risk of being drawn away to the evil influences around us. You know, I just read, I think it was this morning, in the book of Luke, the parable of the sower. And one of the dangers we face is... is, is he gave the example of the seed that was sown among thorns. He says that the the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word. So if we are don't take don't make a conscious effort to redeem the time, that's what's going to happen. The cares of this life are going to start crowding in, and they're going to draw our attention and our focus away from God's kingdom. And you know, it's not just evil things that can do that. There are a lot of good things that can distract us from giving our all to the Lord as well. So we need to be continually alert. We need to be circumspect. We need to be uh, walking carefully. We also see that we need to be using wisdom. In verse 15, he says, not as fools, but as wise. And also in verse 17, wherefore be not unwise. Through wisdom will cause us to avoid evil influences at all costs. True wisdom will also cause us to seek out what God's will is, even though it may cost us a lot. You know, the wisdom of the world tells us to live it up, to seek our own pleasure, to seek fulfillment in the things of this life. That's not God's way. 
how do we find true wisdom? Different places in Scripture we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's the thought that's given there in the last part of verse 17. He says, but understanding what the, what the will of the Lord is. If we want to have true wisdom, we need to daily endeavor to understand what the will of the Lord is and to put it into practice. As we do that, we'll shield ourselves from the evil and the darkness, sinfulness around us. The more we know and the more we understand of God's will, His Word, the clearer the dangers of sin and darkness and evil around us will be. Moving on to verse 18, He warns here against drunkenness wherein is excess. Alcohol and other mind-altering substances tend to alter the senses in a way that influence and lead a person away from God and towards a life of excess, carousing. It tends to break down reserve and break down good judgment and bring out the fleshly, sinful nature. It tends to bring a person down, not lift them up towards God and his ways. So for the believer, it must be avoided. It should have no part in the light of Christ. The believer should never allow that which will alter his mind in a way that draws him away from God in any way, or away from obedience to God's Word. But Paul here gives an alternate being drunk with wine. He says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Through that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we can find fulfillment, we can find direction in life, rather than in pleasure-seeking or seeking to drown our problems with substances such as alcohol. We also see, moving on in 19 and 20, that the infilling of the Spirit will have an effect on the believer. It's going to affect our communication. You know, our Sunday school lesson was about our speech. Here his focus is, is somewhat on singing, but the overall theme here is that of praise and edification. The infilling of the Spirit is going to, to change, as Daryl talks about, change what is inside, which then will change what comes out. He encourages us to speak or sing to yourselves, and that's that's not that yourself isn't uh, speaking about me singing to myself. It yourself is is plural, so it's it's a uh, it's a group edification. Sing to yourselves, or speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. When we surrender to the Lord and are filled with the Spirit, it gives us something to sing about and a reason to encourage others. He also says in these verses that we're to give 
that we're, we're to give thanks always for all things. And, you know, that's something that often is hard to do because there's often things that we don't feel very thankful for that come into our lives. But yet we're to be thankful people. We're to be looking for what is good. God has given us so many blessings. There's always something that we can be thankful for. And I had to think of this admonition and of the earlier admonition against drunkenness. And you know, alcohol is often used to drown problems. And here the believer is called to be thankful. And I thought how much better it is with the help of the Holy Spirit to learn thankfulness, to learn to look for the good, to look for the blessing to express those things in spite of what may be troubling us, in spite of what difficulty we may be facing, rather than turning to some mind-altering substance to try to dull or drown out those problems. Also notice that these expressions of praise and thankfulness are intended to bring glory to the Lord. Says, giving thanks always for all things and to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be done in his name so that any praise and thanksgiving coming from our, our lips is bringing honor to whom it is due. And also I believe that when our focus is the honor and the glory of the Lord, it's going to be a lot easier for us to have a song on our lips gratitude in our hearts will be a whole lot easier than if we're focused on self. If we're focused on me and my problems, we're going to tend to see all the negatives. If we are focused on God and His goodness and practicing these verses of having a song on our lips and praise in our heart, thankfulness in our heart, it's going to be a whole lot easier to build others up and to bring honor and glory to God. So in conclusion, this morning, I see in this passage a reminder to us to be very aware and alert of how we live. For us to be cautious not to allow influences that would pull us away from the Lord. Be cautious to avoid the darkness and evil of the world around us at all costs. And to endeavor to endeavor with our lives to to daily to understand his will, his word, his what he has revealed to us, how it applies to our everyday life, how we should live, so that we can live in the light so that we can be those who have come out of darkness. It can be said that, that once you were darkness, but now you are the kingdom of light. Live lives that are full of praise, thanksgiving, and encouragement. We can encourage one another on 
and the endeavor of living in the light and being faithful to the Lord, bringing him honor and glory. And the Lord bless you, and I turn it over for a song. <laughs> 